Welcome to Joy in Learning, a podcast from the Harley School in Rochester, New York. We're an independent school for nursery through grade 12, where there's always lots of interesting learning going on for us to share with you. For this episode, I spoke with Bruce A. Jacobs about his upcoming Common Speaker Series talk, Anti-Racism, Moving America Toward Democracy. Enjoy. I am here with Bruce Jacobs, who is our guest for this week or this month's Common Speaker Series. Bruce, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. So we've been talking for a little bit before this actually started, um, but I'm super curious. Can you tell me a little bit about your background? Are you from Rochester? And how did you wind up getting connected with Harley? How were we lucky enough to have you joining us next week? Well, in reverse order, the, the Harley connection was just sheer luck. I didn't even know how until uh, in one of the emails I got, it was either from uh, from Harley or from you, could have been from you, um, that uh, a classmate of one of my younger sisters in Rochester knew of my book, Race Manners, when it first came out some years ago. and mentioned it and sort of brought it into the circle of thinking at Harley. And that percolated, uh, eventually ending up in, after all these years, asking me to come and, and actually be part of their Commons speaking series. I've, you know, I'm born and raised Rochester, uh, a native. Uh, I go back there as often as I can. I have folks there. I have friends there. You know, it's where I'm from. Um, the trout fishing is better than anywhere up or down the eastern seaboard, <laughs> which is really important to me. And, uh, and so uh, I've been in and out of Rochester, you know, ever since I was an adult. And, uh, and I've done a lot with the book, Race Manners, in Rochester, uh, on radio and in media and speaking, and just, you know, being part of that conversation. Uh, so that's, that's how it happened. Uh, uh, a classmate of my sister said, you know, Hey, you know, my friend's brother wrote this book and, uh, here I am. So the, the small world works to our benefit in this case. Well, yeah, you know, hopefully so. Yeah, definitely. To the benefit of the work we're trying to do. Right. So speaking of the work, um, and we don't want to give away too much, uh, for your talk, uh, but I do want to sort of start with some fundamentals, um, and to me, when I look at this, I think the big question for folks is what does anti-racism mean? Um, and in the context of moving away from the idea of the sort of colorblind ideology and, and actually how damaging that ideology can be, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, it's just, this is fraught. Uh, for a lot of reasons, including that our time is so limited right now. So uh, I'm going to try to hold myself back from what would easily be a 45-minute or hour or two-hour conversation between us about this. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, something closer to that will happen, not an hour or two hours, but I'll go into way more depth about this when I give the, the talk uh, on the 29th at Harley. But 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 those are those are the questions of the hour. I mean... I think in a nutshell, I would say anti-racism means being committed to undoing white supremacy, both structurally and culturally, and being committed as part of that to replacing 
structural and cultural white supremacy with what I'd say is mutually respectful, meritocratic relationships that are based on shared esteem for other people and for other cultures, instead of based on what they're largely based on in a white supremacist culture and society, which is the competitive wielding of power. So that's a, that's a, a mouthful, but in a nutshell, I think that's what this huge thing that began with the Atlantic slave trade and slave plantation economy in the United States and has moved forward to this point from there is about. It's about not only the dysfunction and the evil uh, and the really on a human level, not only wicked and cruel, but, but suicidally so, because it's not a sustainable or a healthy or a survivable way to run a culture and to run an economy and to run a country. Uh, and in that sense, white supremacy, and I'll talk about this in, in more detail when I give the talk, white supremacy really is the foundation for so much of what's broken in this economy and this society today, centuries later in 2020. And that also has helped create what I think is a really pivotal, uh, powerful moment uh, where, um, uh, where a lot of us in a society can come together um, with various struggles converging and moving forward to fundamentally change the society in a way that it's never been changed before. But, but the basis of all of this is that white supremacy isn't just bad and it's not just unhealthy. It has actively held back the United States from being a functional, healthy, equitable democracy. Even if you compare us with some of the, what I call social democracies of Europe, and other parts of the developed world. America, the United States, is arguably the most socially and racially backward of all of the developed countries in the world, even though we are the richest. And that won't be true forever either. And that has everything to do with institutional and cultural white supremacy in the United States. And a lot more Americans are starting to wake up to this, which is where the connection comes with the Black Lives Matter movement and the kind of percolation that's percolating, that's happening now nationwide. So I guess that's, that's a sort of summary way, I guess, of trying to get at that. But if, if you want to poke at it a little bit more, we can. I do want to poke at it just a little bit more, uh, but I have to say, so I was excited for your talk already, but we turned our video off before we started this, this conversation. Uh, if we'd have left, if we'd have left that video on, you'd have seen me nodding through the entire thing. Uh, and I actually took a note, um, your, your, your phrase shared esteem. I really like that. Uh, so mm. I actually wrote that down to explore that for myself later. Mm. Um, so you mentioned the history and it is the entire history of the country. And I have to hold myself back a little bit because this part honestly makes me a little angry. Um, why now after so much has happened, 
I mean, we could name moments throughout the entire history of the country where you would think that that was a moment for change. What do you see is different about this moment where it actually does feel like maybe there is an opportunity finally for some change? That's a really great question. Um, that, you know, the, the first the, the, the caveat to my answer is that we really don't know yet. We yeah. don't know how this is going to pan out. Mm-hmm. We will be able to look back later or others will be able to look back later and say, yep, this was the moment. This was when this factor played into this factor and these things moved forward. We can look now at what we believe and what seems to be happening. And I think we need to. Um, and from that standpoint, I, I think what makes this moment so spectacularly opportune is sadly uh, the ways in which beginning with the white supremacist ethic, uh, this whole American ethic of greed-based monopoly capitalism gone haywire to the point where where money controls access to federal level political office has broken the American economy. What was, to some extent, democratic, small d, about the American economy so profoundly that the experience of more and more non-people of color, more and more Caucasian people, is closer and closer to what has forever been the experience of people of color in this country, particularly African-Americans. And so one of the reasons that there's this resonance of what the Black Lives Matter movement means is that, for one thing, we've moved forward in how we understand and see and the visibility of racism and of white supremacist, basically goon squad based policing, which has been a problem forever, but ta-da, cell phone technology mm-hmm. was an incredible catalyst. And I'm not gonna name self, cell phone, uh, you know, uh, cell phone carrier names, but insert the name of any company. And I think it's fair to say the visibility of police routine, fascistic police abuse of citizens in black communities is the best thing that the cell phone business ever did for America. I think that's absolutely fair to say. Maybe the only good thing, but that's, <laughs> that's another question. Uh, so uh, so uh, this is a moment where not only has the long time, uh, you know, I, I like to say, this, is, this country has been, in essence, a non-democratic, fascist, white supremacist regime for Black people and for people of color forever. And it is now becoming economically more and more that way for many, many, many white Americans, particularly Americans without college degrees, for whom this modern economy has much less of a place than it used to. And when you, I used to, and when you add that to the kind of plutocratic, uh, top-heavy sort of, uh, uh, what, what should I say, uh, hoarding, hoarding of wealth mm-hmm. that's happening at the top of the American income chain, 
where the capital doesn't loop back as reinvestment. It's going into private mountains of money controlled by very powerful people and a very small number of powerful companies. You don't have anything that looks like meritocratic capitalism. And that is, is destroying what used to be the potential, at least, for many working white Americans to move ahead in the economy and to assume that their children would do better than they did. That's, as I said, all of these things have been true and far worse for black Americans in this country forever. But we are now seeing this trend where it's so broken, it's so profoundly broken, that this has become a common experience and that's the rage in part that has fed the Trump electorate. That pretty much the only answer the GOP has for them right now is racism and to point the finger of rage at somebody who doesn't look like them. Because no economic platform offered by a, by a plutocratic outlook right now will solve the problem, the fundamental economic structural problem of greed-based, uh, of a greed-based non-meritocratic corporate economy. So in a nutshell, I think uh, the fact that it's so much more visible, and when I say it, I mean uh, the, the barbaric and historic and fascistic uh, oppression and abuse of black citizens in this country is so much more visible. And that experience in some ways is more of a shared experience in the sense of, of broad swaths of white people feeling economically and politically disenfranchised. And you have a younger generation that doesn't have the kind of all of the kind of racial blinders that previous generations of white Americans had because we're moving forward. And all of these things I think have combined in this moment where you see literally a multicolored sea of folks led by the black rights movement struggle out there crusading for what could become, I think, could become the kind of multiracial populist progressive movement for, for equity across the board that this country has never had before. And that's what's exciting. It's also what's daunting because there will be opposition. There already is. And that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's a fantastic take. Um, and, and you brought up some points that I wouldn't have thought of, um, which I think is really fantastic. Uh, and I, I, I want to be hopeful. Uh, and, and I, I like your cautious optimism. Um, I'm very cautious myself with my optimism, but it, it really does kind of feel, at least in, in my lifetime, which is almost half a century at this point, different than at different points. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah. I hope that that is, that that is the case. I, I do too. And, and you know, again, that, that's why we're here. And, uh, and, and it is. It's, uh, it's horrific. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing is. things in routine daily news today that are beyond horrific. Uh, people are rubbing their eyes and asking themselves, what country am I in every day yeah. when they turn on and look at the news? Mm-hmm. And that's because, as we've been talking about, it is so fundamentally broken. Yep. It is broken with a capital B. And I think that trajectory is what I've described. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. And that's 
it's both a catastrophe and an opportunity. It's an opportunity because as it breaks, we can push forward and fill in that space with something better, all of us. Well, as I said before, I am now even more excited for your talk. Um, and I think that's where we'll wrap it up. But we do have a few things that I want to remind folks of. First and foremost is that your full talk is going to be next Wednesday, one week from tomorrow, from the time we're recording this. This probably won't actually be launched until later on this week. But Wednesday, July 29th at 6.30 p.m., you do need to register ahead of time to get the link to the the, the meeting, the Zoom meeting. Um, you can do so. You can find that link on all of our social media channels and the Harley School website. But I will read a shortened URL in case someone happens to want to write something down with a pencil and type it into their browser. Um, you can get there in a shortened link at hrly.sl slash c-s-s-r-e-g. Once again, hrly.sl slash csreg. And then the other thing I want to mention is that you are going to be on WXXI Connections this coming Monday, the 27th at 12 o'clock to talk about this same topic, which uh, I am going to put on my calendar to listen to. Uh, and then I also want to um, make sure that everyone knows that you do have a book that is still available. Can you take a minute to tell folks how they can find the book? Sure. The book is the second edition of a, a book on, on racism uh, that I wrote. Um, it's called Race Manners, M-A-N-N-E-R-S, for the 21st century. Uh, the title is misleading. It's really a book that tries to connect the dots between the kinds of big issues that we're talking about and everyday life as we all experience it. Um, it's available as an ebook. Uh, the paper copies, as far as I know right now, are basically sold out. Uh, you know, I myself have to forage for them <laughs> when I want more. Uh, but you can easily get it as an ebook uh, wherever you get books um, online or through your local bookstore. So uh, that's uh, that's my latest book. I'm working on another now. Uh, it's a memoir, and it moves these kinds of things in a in a different and for me personally deeper direction. Uh, that'll be hopefully out uh, sometime by early next year, uh, but one step at a time. Um, and uh, it's been great talking with you. I appreciate it. I, I really appreciate having you here. And, and once again, I'm super excited for the talk next week. Thanks so much, Bruce. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Joy in Learning, the Harley Schools podcast. We look forward to sharing interesting stories, discussing educational topics, and exploring ideas with you in our next episode. See you again soon.